0: You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Daniel Yelverton. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. This morning, uh, we're starting a brand new series called Can't Wait. And you might be asking, okay, what is Can't Wait all about? Uh, we're going to be going through the book of Revelation, Right? And so, this is exciting. This is something we can't wait to share with you. But we know that the book of Revelation comes with a lot of mixed responses, right? And so, it was great. Actually, could you keep that image up? Yeah. Uh, some of you may have similar responses when, you, when we talk about the book of Revelation, right? You know, there might be an anxiety or a worry about it. There might be a surprise or anticipation. There, there could be a joy. There could be... I love this guy to the far right, just a downright terror and fear when it comes to the book of Revelation. And I'll be honest with you, it's a, it's a book that it, it took me a, a while to really connect with. You know, I just, I wasn't quite understanding it. I couldn't really wrap my mind around all the stuff that was really going on. And, uh, but for me, the book of Revelation is... It's it's an amazing book because it is the one book, and I'll go into detail about this a little bit later, but it's the one book that delivers an amazing promise. It says that we'll be blessed if we read it and understand it. There's no other book in the Bible that tells us that we will be blessed if we read it and understand it. And so we're going to be going through the book of Revelation over the next four weeks. And for some of you, you guys are thinking, oh man, I can't wait until we're done with the series, right? For some of you guys are thinking, I can't wait until he's done talking so we can go out and get lunch, right? I understand that. That's okay. Just, just bear with me for a little bit. And what I want, hope to do this morning is I want to kind of lay out a foundation or a groundwork for the book of Revelation so we can understand what Jesus is revealing to the Apostle John, what John is recording, and so we can understand it a little bit better. And then I want us to walk a little bit through uh, the seven letters, or the yeah, seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, because I think that's going to be really relevant for us today. And then Pastor Phil will carry on, and Dennis uh, will also be teaching during the series. And so I just hope to kind of lay a groundwork. So if you have your Bible, open it to Revelation. If you don't know, it's the last book of the Bible, and it's right at the end, so just get to the end, go past the concordance, or just light up your phone, and you can search for Revelation, that's fine. Uh, but so we're going to start in chapter one, and we're going to kind of hover around chapter one and chapter two. And so what I wanted to say is, okay, what is the book of Revelation? Well, Revelation, first and foremost, is a prophecy. It, it literally tells us that, it tells us that in Revelations 1-3, it said, God blesses the one who hears the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. So this is a prophecy. And a prophecy is something that you would probably be familiar a lot more as you're studying the Old Testament, but there is New Testament prophecy, obviously, Revelation included. And a prophecy is, is first and foremost, it's about the future. It's, it's a word from the Lord to, to encourage or to exhort uh, us about the future, and and for some of us, we think, okay, well, that's great and all. It's really confusing, but I don't quite understand it. And I think that the ama- one of the amazing attributes of God is that He sees the future, that He knows the future. It's something that we don't, I don't know, think about very consciously. We think about God's power, we think about God's healing, we think about God's ability to save, but we don't always think about. The fact that God knows the future. But but think about the power that we have in that the creator knows our story, knows the future, knows the story of humanity, knows the beginning from the end. What hope does that give us in our present circumstances? You know, I think uh, I've got a daughter. She's a little over one and a half and we'll go off for walks, and we'll walk. She loves to walk to the park. A lot of times she'll just dart that way. I gotta run up and catch up with her. Uh, but we'll walk to the park, and I'll hold on to her hand, and, and she'll just kind of carry on like she doesn't have a care in the world. Like she is just totally content, totally happy. Well, she knows, maybe conscious, maybe she doesn't know, but she's received from, me, from walking with me that it's safe, that she's protected that I see if any cars are coming. I see if there's anything in the road. I see if there's an uneven a part of the sidewalk. And so she can walk without a care in the world because her dad sees what's ahead. Guys, our Heavenly Father sees what's ahead. He sees what's ahead of your present situation. Whatever you're going through right now, he sees it. He's seen it. He knows it. And so the book of Revelation is such a blessing to us. It's such a blessing to us because God has already seen the end and he's sharing and he's revealing this to us. And so that's exactly what we get. The second thing that the book of Revelation is it's a book of blessing. And I talked about it earlier. Uh, Jesus said, Blessed is those who, or uh, the Apostle John through the Holy Spirit said, Blessed are those who read these words and oh, listen to the message and obey what it says. And I think about that. I think about that in my own life, right? What a blessing it is to know that God has full understanding of everything that's going to happen, that he's totally in control. I don't know what season you're currently going through right now, but that is the power that God has. And that we can live in this present season with the assurance, knowing that he has seen the beginning from the end, knowing that he is going to bless us, that he is going to take away all of our sorrows, that death is not going to have any power anymore, that sickness is not going to have any power over our body anymore. What a blessing it is to know that and to have confidence and to trust in that so we can live now, in eager expectation of what's to come because we know it's there. And so there's a blessing here and now knowing what's going to come down the road. So it's a book of prophecy. It's a book of blessing. It's also a book of symbols. And this is where it gets a little strange, right? Because we see a lot of symbols in the book of Revelation. We see the bowls and we see the trumpets and we see the seals and we see the beasts and we see the dragon. And it's, it's strange it's totally bizarre, and we quite, can't quite follow maybe what's exactly going on. But what we know, and since the book is written in symbols, we get a couple things from this. First, symbols transcend time, right? So if I told you what I did today, right, and I'd said it in plain English, I woke up, had breakfast, came here, and had coffee, whatever it is, you would know whatever it is, and that was it. That would, that's exactly what you would understand about my day. But if you speak in a symbol, then you're able to, to take whatever is going on in the present situation or whatever is coming in the future, and you can draw application from it. That's why when we read the book of Revelation, we can draw from the book uh, the letters to the churches. We can draw from the battle that's taking place between good and evil in Revelation chapter 12. We can draw from the ultimate victory that Christ is going to have. And if we do that because they're symbols. The other thing that symbols do is they, they bring emotion to it. Right? If, if I just told you that yeah, sometime down the road there's a dictator that's going to rise up and he's going to be really a terrible person, right? And would be like, oh, okay. That sounds like a bad thing, right? But then if I tell you like a beast rises up from the sea, you're like, Wow, that sounds really evil. I don't, I don't know if I, I, I want I to associate with that. Something's coming. And so symbols will arise in emotion. But also, the, symbol, the symbolism of the book of Revelation connects us to the, uh, to the prophetic books of the Old Testament. So it gives us a good frame of reference. So when you see uh, John saying something about the Son of Man... Uh, especially in Revelation 1, he'll talk about it in, in verse 13, that he actually gets that reference from the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. And so the symbolism, even though it can seem intimidating at first, that it's actually going to be a blessing for us because we're going to be able to pull things out of the book of Revelation that we wouldn't normally be able to do so if it was just literal. And also it gives us a frame of reference for what John is trying to teach us. And I think the most important thing that we can see about the book of Revelation is that it's, it's all about Jesus. So it says this in Revelation 1.1, that this is a revelation of or from Jesus Christ, that this shows us who Jesus is. And I think this is good, this is good for us to get a kind of wrestle with this. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with the image of Jesus, right? I think of him as kind of this dude that hangs under a tree and like has some kids and a lamb hanging out with him and maybe 12 dudes and one of them shady, you know, in the picture. And like, and so you see him as kind of this kind of really meek and mild and, and kind of hanging out guy. But, but here is what we see about Jesus, and this is probably one of the clearest depictions and descriptions that we actually have of Jesus. And this is in Revelation 1, starting in verse 12. So this is John. He heard a trumpet blast, and it's in, it, there's a command to write in a book everything you see about these seven churches. And it says in verse 12, it says, And I turned to see who was speaking to me, and I saw seven golden lampstands. And we'll find out what that is later. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet, like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth, like, whoa, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. John's immediate response was that he fell to his feet as if he was dead. You know, and so when I read that, I have to start to, to, to shift the way that I view Jesus, Right? Because because this is the Jesus that we serve. This is the Jesus that is to come. This is the Jesus now that is revealing himself to John. And so, not only is this book a prophecy, it has symbols. It's a book of blessing. It's also a book about Jesus. But it also, it's a book about perspectives for us. We need to learn, we need to know that John is talking about three different things when we're reading this book. Right? So the first thing that John is talking about, and this is in, in uh, Revelations 119, he says, write down what you've seen. So John is going to see things. He's going to see Jesus, and so he writes it down. He's going to go up into heaven, and he's going to see the worship and the glory that's happening in the throne room of heaven. And so he sees it, and he writes it down. And then he says, you also need to both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. And so there's things that we're going to see in the book of Revelation that are happening now. Happening now to John's readers. Happening now to us. And then there's things that will come. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of rest in the now. What's happening now? And so Jesus tells John to write seven letters to seven churches. Now these are actually seven churches. They're not just these you have figurative churches. There's seven churches that are in Asia Minor. They're in like a 50-mile radius of each other. And, and it says that in the image that we get of Jesus, the golden lampstands and the stars, those actually represent something. The golden lampstands represent the churches, those seven churches. And then the stars represent the angels of the churches. Now, that sounds really kind of confusing, but the word angel can be messenger. So it can be messenger of God or earthly messenger of God. So that can be a literal angel that's watching over the church or it can be to the pastor of the church. And so, and so that we don't have, that's the way messenger is kind of interpreted here, right? So Jesus is holding the message that's, being, that's, being, that's in his hand. He has total control of it. And he's also walking amongst the lampstands. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at these seven churches, and we're going to do kind of like a summary, like a overview of some of the things that we see in the churches, because Jesus has specific things that he's telling to each church. But at the very end of every single message, you'll see this in two, uh, in Revelations two verse seven, he says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. And so this is our responsibility. You know, because Jesus is not only speaking to this church; He's speaking to future churches. He's speaking to our church, and it's on us now to tune our ears to what Jesus is saying. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to listen? Are we willing to allow ourselves to understand? And where are we, we going to give Jesus access to not only how we do church, like locally here as a body, but know that the church is made up of people. So how are we? How are we representing what Christ would like the church to look like? And so as we're reading this, I want us to, to take time to reflect, to not like see this as like abstract, like, okay, this is that way the church, you know, in Ephesus. It's no longer there anymore. We don't have to worry about that anymore. But this is actually something that we can pull for us and for our benefit. All right, so here we go. We're gonna blitz through two through set, two through three, sorry. And I'm not gonna read it verbatim, I'll have a couple parts where I'll read. And so I want us to hang in here and see that Jesus is going to do a couple things. First, Jesus is going to reveal who he is. And what's really cool is that he reveals specifically what the church needs or what the church is experiencing. And so he reveals what the church needs or what it's experiencing, and then he gives a a critique to the church. How are they doing? you guys doing good? Are you guys doing bad? What are some things that I'm really proud of? What are some things that... Man, like we got to turn away from that. And that's, we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with the good and the bad when it comes to Jesus's correction, right? Because I think for me, I always like only the good news, right? I, I want to I kind of focus in on that, be like, yeah, we're doing this, we're doing this. That stuff over there, Jesus, don't worry about it. It's, yeah, it's behind the curtain, it's fine, right? It's not going to really bother us. But, but Jesus, he, he desires that his church should be whole and complete, and so that comes with the good and the bad. And so we just need to have this moment of honesty when it comes to ourselves when it comes to our church. How are we measuring up? How are we doing when it comes to this? Okay, so the first thing that, that Jesus reveals about himself to the church in Ephesus, he says that he has seven stars in his right hand and he walks among the seven lampstands. This is pretty cool. So Jesus is holding the church, the church leaders, the church direction, everything in his hands, in his control. But he's walking amongst the lamb stands. He's not distant. He's not far off. He's not just lobbing commands over there and be like, go do that. He's walking amongst the churches in intimacy and in relationship. And that's really important because the first thing he says to the church in Ephesus, he says, I know the things you do. See, Jesus knows us. He knows what we're doing. He knows the effort that we're making. He knows the things that we're going through. He knows how we're patiently enduring. He knows how we're struggling. He knows the the challenges that we're facing. And so it's because of that. He's intimate. He's walking amongst the lampstands. So he he's proud of what this church is doing, but he has this critique. He says, you have forgotten your first love you see, we can do church and not love people, right? We can have a bunch of programs. We can do things and kind of help people, but not really love people. And so this church has forgotten what it meant to love God and to love people. And so they're doing all these things. They're filling themselves with activities. They're very passionate about the word. They're passionate about serving, but They're not really loving people. They've pulled away from what it means to love people. And Paul even tells us that the spiritual gifts without love is nothing. It's useless. And so Jesus says to turn, repent from that. Or he says, I'm going to remove the lampstand from your place in the churches. And that's kind of harsh, right? But but what Jesus is saying here is, is maybe not necessarily that the church is going to crumble, but when, when we lose proximity to Jesus, the church begins to become all about effort and all about, uh, and we lose the intimacy. We lose the relationship. And, but he says that if anyone who is victorious, this is at the end of verse seven, he will give him the fruit from the tree of life and there will be paradise in God. What's really cool is you'll see this. Jesus reveals who he is. He gives us a critique and then he gives us hope and a promise. So as we are victorious and loving people, we will experience the fruit of life in paradise forever with God. The next church is the church in Smyrna. Smyrna was a very rich city, but the Christians in there were experiencing serious persecution. They were losing their jobs, they were being thrown in jail, they were in great poverty. And Jesus says to this church, I am the first and the last who was dead but now is alive. And the very next thing he says is, I know your suffering and your poverty. Jesus not only knows our works, he knows our our pain. He's very acquainted with our suffering. He knows what we're going through. It says that he was dead and now he's alive, meaning that he has firsthand experienced the death, the rejection, the betrayal, the poverty that we face as humanity. But he gives us hope in this. He says, you are going to experience suffering, but it's only going to be for 10 days. Now, that, I don't know what that means for the individuals of that church. But what Jesus is saying here is that suffering has a timeline. Suffering has an end date. Suffering will eventually be done. I know your suffering. I'm acquainted with your pain, and it will end. It won't last forever. Anyone who has ears, let them hear and listen and understand what he's saying to the church. Oh, Jesus, he says also that we'll receive a crown of life as we endure. The next church is the church of a Pergamum. Pergamum. Now, uh, Pergamum is interesting because Pergamum is is under the control of an evil government. It says it's Satan's city, right? And so Jesus, which is so cool, he recognizes. He recognizes the environment that we are in right now, and he says, I know that you are living in Satan City. I know that your evil is all around you, and you're still enduring. You still refuse to deny me. Even after one of your friends, that says, Antipas was martyred. I see this. I know this. But I have this one complaint. You're tolerating, uh, you're tolerating other doctrine." And, this is, and you're tolerating what was called, it was Balaam. Balaam is a guy from the Old Testament who basically uh, was able to kind of uh, be a hindrance to the people of Israel because they were sending in women from Moabites to sleep with the Israelites. And it, anyways, that's the story. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. And so, anyways, what was happening was it was, it was causing this huge divide between God and his people. And so there is something going on where they're following what's called the, Nick, oh, hold on, I'm going to get this, Nicoletians, Nicoletians. Now they were, the, they were, a, they were Nick, Nicholas was actually, they say, one of the seven deacons that was established as, as the church first started. So this guy was like really head up, like a big part of the church. And then he starts this whole kind of offshoot of the church where it's basically like have as much sex as you want to, do whatever you want to, have fun, you know, use your freedom for as much pleasure as you want. And so what it was doing is it was pulling people away. People were then divided between, okay, am I supposed to be, am I supposed to be following God in this way or am I allowed to just go do whatever I want? Because that sounds like a lot more fun and that sounds like a lot more satisfying. And... And Jesus says that that you have to get rid of that. You have to repent and turn away from that. And I love the promise that he gives us. He'll give us manna from heaven. Manna was there to satisfy the needs of the people. Jesus will satisfy every single one of your need. You know, we can try to find satisfaction in other things. We can try to find satisfaction in sex, relationships, money, whatever it may be. But Jesus is saying, I want to give you this promise. Follow me, and I will give you exactly what you need. And then there's the next church, the church in Thyatira. This is another one where Jesus says, I know all the things that you're doing, but you've allowed people to come into your church and just corrupt your church. You have decided that it's okay to compromise very similar to the church in Pergamum. And, and there is, he even like calls out these deep truths that this person is talking about. It's really funny. It's, it's in verse 24. It says, I have this message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed the false teaching. And he does this little, in quotations or parentheses, he does deep truths as they call it, more like depths of Satan actually. And it's funny because so Jesus knows. He knows what they're even calling it. He knows what they're, what they're trying to do, to ch- where, where they're pulling people away to follow these deeper truths. And I get it, because there's, there's a compromise of truth that we can f- experience in our culture, right? We can kind of go back and forth between what is truth and what actually isn't. But Jesus says that if you remain faithful to me, this is the promise. I'll give you authorities over the nation. This is in verse 26. I will give you the same authority that I give my Father, and I will give you the morning star, which we find out later is Jesus himself. And so we have three more cities left. And I know that this is a lot. This is a lot of kind of what's going on here, different cities, different churches, different things are happening, right? But I want us to know that Jesus knows us. He knows what we're experiencing right now. He has something great and good in store for us, we just had the opportunity to respond and we'll see that at the very end so the next church is the church of sardis sardis is an interesting city it is like it was up on a hill and it was had this like it was basically like impenetrable no one could really get to the city but the city got destroyed or got taken over twice and the reason it got taken over was that people found a secret path. It was, the story goes is that a guard dropped his helmet, he went down the hidden path that was easy to get up into the city, and picked up his helmet. Somebody saw it, they sent troops up there, and they took over the city. And what's interesting is the two times they took over the city, it was completely unguarded. They were, already, they were so overconfident in where they were and what they had going on in their life that they, they didn't even bother guarding the city. And I think that sometimes we can, we can have that in our own life. It says that they have a reputation of being alive, but they're actually dead. You know, I think that we can kind of start to go in autopilot when it comes to following Jesus, right? Where we just, we kind of get cruising along and we got a bunch of stuff going on and we got things that make it feel like it's alive, feel like everything is going great. But really it's just dead. And Jesus says, go back to your first love. Go back to what you first did. And you will walk with me in white because you are worthy. You will be victorious. Your names will never be erased from the book of life. Listen and understand what I have for you. So this is a wake-up call because we could leave, we could just leave our life unguarded, right? We could just say everything's fine. We could not take inventory. Jesus is telling us to wake up. Two more churches. This is the next one, the Church of Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia was in an interesting place because it was a really wealthy city, but it was right in the the epicenter of a ton of earthquakes. So they were constantly having earthquakes, having to leave the city and then come back and rebuild. right? And so Jesus is saying to this church, I have a door that's open for you. There's a window of opportunity. There's a lot of volatility when it came to this town of Philadelphia. I've got a door. I've got a window of opportunity that only I have opened for you, meaning no one has the power to close it, but are you going to step through it? Jesus will open the door for us. He will give us the opportunity, but he won't push us through the doorway. We have to step through. We have to then trust, all right, God, am I going to be faithful? Is, this church, is our church going to be faithful to you in this generation? The, the window of, of opportunity is here. We're here in Blanchester. The window of opportunity is for you in your workplace, in your family. The door has been opened to you. It's such a gift. What are we going to do with it? What's cool is that Jesus says that those who are victorious, those who follow through with his command... He says that he'll make them pillars in the temple of God. So, when all the earthquakes would hit, it would destroy buildings, things would fall apart. But the thing that would remain always is the pillars. Whatever it is, whatever we're going to face, whatever the tumultuous times may be, God promises that he will make us a pillar, something that lasts, something that has impact as we walk through that door of opportunity. And this is the last church. And this church is is important because uh, scholars believe that this church is talking about our church. See, they have divided the seven churches into seven church ages, so periods of time of church history. And they believe that Laodicea is our time. And this is what Jesus says. He says that he's the true and faithful witness, meaning he is authentic and he is faithful that he is the beginning of God's new creation. He is the start of all things new. He says, I know all the things you do and you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You see, this city had a, had a water issue. They had to get water from an aqueduct that was six or seven miles away, but the aqueduct, the only water was coming in was water from a hot spring. So by the time it got to them, it was just this lukewarm water. But it was what they had. And so just like the expectation, so here's a funny story. I hate tea. I'm from the South and I hate tea. Like it's just bad. Like I can't stand it. I can't stand the smell of tea. It bothers me. And uh, I had a traumatic experience when I was young about that. I, I won't go into that story, but um, yeah, I'll spare my mom that story. She would not like it if I shared that. Anyways, uh, so don't like tea, and, but there's been times where I've grabbed a cup, thinking that it's water, right? And then just take a oh, big gulp, and then it's, ugh, it's tea, bah, you spit it out of your mouth. And Jesus is, is using that same terminology here. It's like he's expecting something good, and he's getting something bad. He said, it, it says in this thing, that the commentary uh, of this church is they believe that they're rich, that they have everything they need. This was one that, that tr- the city was actually destroyed, by, I believe, by an earthquake, and they didn't receive any aid because they knew they could do it themselves. Pick me up by my bootstraps. I'm going to do this all by myself. This is my accomplishment. He says, you're rich. You have everything you want. I don't need a thing, but you don't realize how poor and blind and naked you are. And there's a spiritual, po- there's a spiritual poverty that this church has. That... they've taken the confidence of the things that they have and they've used that as kind of like a buffer that says they're good. They, They don't really need God. I get that, right? Sometimes it's just easier just to wait to ask God when you're getting ready to fall off a cliff, right? But every other time you're just driving along, going fine, everything's good. Jesus says in this, says take the things that you're investing in And buy gold from me. There's an opportunity here to take what you feel like is your wealth and make it eternal. Make it something good. Take your clothes, the nakedness and buy clothes from me. I've got white linen for you. It was also a place that was known for its healing eye ointment. And he says, take my ointment so you can see clearly. And I think that's a big deal for us right now. It's because it's easy to lose sight of God. We have so many competing voices. It's easy to lose sight of our need for God. Guys, we, we're, we're wealthy. We've got it made in some ways. We're in the top 1% in the world. Right? And so it's easy for us to just stiff arm God and not realize that this is where we really are. But I love this, Jesus, and this is really important for us because we can see all of this correction. And Jesus says in verse 19, he says, I discipline and I correct those who I love. Please know this is not a critique of condemnation on us. This is an opportunity. Every opportunity, every critique that Jesus gave to these churches, there was a chance to make a difference. There's a chance to turn around. There's a chance to change the way we live the way we respond to Jesus and who he is. And he said, I stand at the door and I knock. If you open the door, I'll come in and I'll have a meal with you. Isn't that cool? I mean, the same guy that's got blazing fire, you know, in his eyes, he wants to come in and have a meal with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to walk among you. And what's cool is that the, if we are victorious in this season, it says that we'll get a throne. So, so if Jesus was writing a letter to our church, if he was writing a letter to us individually. What would he say? And if the band wants to come up all close soon, you know. I mean. I know we got, we've got some great things going on here, and I'm not trying to like, just rain on that parade at all. We've got some, God's doing some really awesome things in this church. I'm so proud to be a part of it. I'm so proud to be connected to you all as a church body. But I think we, can, we, have, we, we need to celebrate the wins, yes, but we also need to look at the other stuff. We need to look at the areas and evaluate, all right, God, are, are we really following through? Have we lost our first love? Are we kind of half in, half out? You know? Are are we more of a blended when it comes to our faith? You know, I'll I'll sprinkle a little Jesus here. I'll take a little bit of my own desires and things that I think is best for my life. I'll sprinkle it here. Kind of put it all together. Make a lukewarm cocktail. Because this age is going to come to an end. It says in in, uh, chapter 4, it says, and now come up here. Jesus is saying this to John, I will show you what's gonna come after this. You know what's really interesting? The church is not mentioned at all in the book of Revelation. After this point, until the very end. And so there's just gonna be a this is an opportunity. We have a window of time to make an impact. to to be the bride of Christ that he desires for us to be, that he's proud of, that he sees and he congratulates. And like I said, this is not condemnation. He knows us. He knows our situations. He knows our suffering. He is walking with us right now. But if we don't take opportunity and take inventory of our life, he he might pull away. He says that with every single one of these churches. And so, I want us to be the church in this generation that impacts this community, that changes lives, that changes families. But that can't just be me. That can't just be Pastor Phil. That's an us thing. This is a letter to us. And so, I want us to, as we worship, take time let this moment simmer for just a little bit. Know that, man, like we bear one another's burdens here. We're not perfect. We're not going to get it right. But, man, let's turn. Let's turn and head towards the right direction in areas that we know we're not heading in the right direction. This is an opportunity, this is a window. We should take advantage of this. King Jesus. You are the first and the last. You've seen everything. You know us. You know the hairs on our head. You know our hearts. You know our individual sufferings. You know our individual situations. You know us. And you love us. God, you're knocking on our door. Help us open it. Amen. There's so much in Your hands. There's peace. There's life. There's victory. There's glory. There's redemption. You take away all tears. Death will no longer have a sting, and You are going to heal every infirmity. That's who's knocking on our door right now. Will we open it? I oh, open. Thank you, Jesus, that you're patient, that you give us time. But God, may we not see time as you not caring, or that judgment, or that your walking away may not be imminent. Let us take advantage of this time because there's so much at stake if we don't. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you're doing. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly impact Bible study podcast as well. Both of our weekly podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.